Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer new back in America. Soccer new back in America. Featuring person talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to episode number 117 of Soccer Noob Rock in America. Yes, I'm in stereo, aren't I, with my uh, uh, crazy Jack Black-like scatting in the background. Well, it's that kind of show. Uh, Soccer Noob Rock in America is a wild, woolly podcast that gives you many previews of matches from all over the globe. Which ones? Well, I promise you we're a little bit different or maybe even a lot different than any other soccer podcast you're going to find out there. Any national team tournament, any league in the world, if it is top flight and from a FIFA country, which is just about all of them, and they've got an important match where it's being played, then it's important to us and on our radar. In addition to that, well, Noobstradamus, our 3,500-year-old prognosticator, he continues to be MIA. wonder what kind of story he's going to have once we're finally able to reach him at the Thracian Plains of Greece or wherever it is that he is adventuring. Also this week, we're going to be sans person. Noob, my daughter, is on a gal's trip with her mom to see her aunt. But I do have a new special guest to liven things up just a few matches into the show. So uh, stay tuned and beware for that. As far as the footy, this week we're going to be covering matches covering Friday the 6th through Thursday, January 12th. With no further ado, let's dive right in with... Match number one! One Friday match with which to kick off the weekend. We're headed back for another visit to the AFF Cup. The group stage is done and they are ready to start their home and away two-legged ties. All right, before we get into some of the specifics, a little bit of a review. The AFF, that stands for the ASEAN Football Federation. It is a sub-federation of the AFC, the Continental Asian Football Confederation. It's a sub-region for Southeast nations, and this is their championship for national teams. In the group stage, there were two groups of five. They played a single round robin, and the top two from each group advanced. advanced. Now, this is a standalone event. It's not a qualifier for uh, the full-on Asian championships or any other international tournaments. But it's really important to the countries in this sub-region because, quite frankly, the southeast region of Asian is the weakest of the sub-federations in the continent. So this gives them a chance to compete in something where a lot of them have a chance to win a trophy and get some good competition, whereas in other events, they might be a little bit overmatched. The matchup that we're going to look at is Indonesia taking on Vietnam. Now, this is leg one of the home and away two-legged tie, but I do want to note that the second leg is going to be on Monday. So, you know, consider this good for either of those. The recent series between these two nations, Vietnam, have had an ever-so-slight edge, accruing a 2-5-1 and one record. Indonesia, Indonesia will be playing host, and they are known as Team Garuda, which is a Hindu demigod, amongst other things. 
The team is ranked number 151 in Asia, which I believe puts them just a little bit above average worldwide. The best ranking they've ever held was number 76. That was back in 1998. They're going to be hosting the game in Jakarta at Galora Bung Karno Stadium, which has a capacity of 77,000, but I would love to see some video of a game back in 1985. It was a club match, oddly enough, where they somehow crammed roughly twice that many people into that stadium. That must have been one heck of an atmosphere. Now, internationally, this is a team that has never made the World Cup. The Asian Cup, or Asian Championships, they've made four appearances. Those were all between 1996 and 2007. Never got past the group stage, and they haven't been packed since, quite frankly. Now, this event, the AFF Cup, they finished in second place twice, most recently in 2020. So this one's a little bit more their speed. And just as a fun side note, I got to see some head-to-head records versus other nations around the world and discovered that they have a 1-1-0 record all time against the United States. So it occurred to me that maybe instead of all the talk I'm hearing about the USMNT fishing for a Copa America's invite trying to get in on the South American championships to increase their quality of competition. Wouldn't it be fun if they went somewhere just a touch more random and tried to get a win off of Indonesia and participated in next year's AFF? Okay, maybe not. The Copa America might be more fun. Now, this is the fifth seeded team in the tournament, and they are the lowest seeded remaining team in the playoffs. Uh, They qualified for the semifinal by finishing in second place of their group of five, right behind Thailand. Thailand beat them out for the title by only two on goal differential, but that did make a difference on seeding, of course, so they get a little bit tougher opponent here in the semifinals than they otherwise would have had. They were pretty darn good in the group stage, had the second-best offense and defense going, won every game by an average of roughly 3-1 to one or a little bit better. Key player to look for, well, they are captained by Fakhrudin Arianto, their center back. They really value that defense. This is a guy with over 50 national team caps, plays for a pretty good, if not all-time, great team uh, there in Indonesia. That is Madura United. Team's current form, well, in the group stage, they won undefeated, 3-1-0. And now your visitors, Vietnam, known as the Golden Star Warriors or Golden Dragon, if you prefer. I believe Golden Star Warriors is the one that gets a little bit used more over there uh, because of the star on their flag. They came into this event as the second-seeded team in the region. They're worldwide ranked by FIFA, just inside the top 100 and number 96. In 1998, they achieved their best ranking ever at number 84. Like Indonesia, they've never been to the World Cup. They've been to the Asian Cup twice. 2019, they made the quarterfinal, and uh, actually the quarterfinals was as far as they got the other time as well. They are two-time AFF Cup champions. They most recently won it in 2018. Last iteration of this event, they did nearly as well. They made the semifinals. They are captained by Du Hong Dung, He plays midfielder for them. He just led Hanoi FC to the 2022 V-League title. That season ended in November. Another key player to look for. I believe he plays for probably the strongest team worldwide of anybody on this roster from a club standpoint. And that is Win Kwang Hai, their attacking midfielder who plays for 
Pau, P-A-U, which is a Ligue 2 team over in France. Just 25 years old, yet he too has almost 50 national team appearances. And then one more player I want to make note of. Tied for second best in scoring in this event, he's netted three already, is Win Tian Lin, their striker. Doesn't play for one of the better teams over there, but uh, in uh, 2022, he was with Bekamex Bin Dong. Pretty average team. Teams current form, they too went 3-1-0 in the group stage. They won the group by one over Malaysia. They had the best offense going in the group, scoring three, and they didn't give up a single goal. They haven't lost, actually, since World Cup qualification matches were going last March. So they are on a 10-match unbeaten streak. Impressive. Match number B. Before we get into our first Saturday match, yes, a quick reminder that number B is the way to go. Tried and worn out old number two. It's bathroom talk and we don't believe in it. Listen to the phrase in action. See how couth you find it. Match number B, we go minnow watching to the England FA Cup round number three. Now, what exactly does that mean, minnow watching? Well, in these knockout tournaments in various countries around the world, it's most fun to watch for teams from some of the lower leagues, go on streaks, do some giant killing, see how far they can get. And nothing is more fun than doing that with the English event because their tournament, they take teams from all the way down at the 10th level, level, several tiers down into the amateur tiers of the English pyramid. Now, the event that we're going to talk about, you can catch us at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN+. There are currently three teams left from the Tier 5 National League. It is the lowest level of the teams, or of the leagues, rather, that have any professional teams in it. So it's the team we're going to talk about, Borum Wood and Wrexham. By the way, just as a side note, at this level is now when all the Premier League and the second tier teams, the EFL championship teams, enter the fray. So everybody is in. Your matchup, National League, fifth tier, Chesterfield. They won their draw and get to play host to West Brom. We'll talk about Chesterfield as host first. That is a town that is the uh, sort of in the central west part of the country. Probably doesn't quite have 100,000 people in it. Geographically, if you're familiar with England at all, uh, Derby and Sheffield are about 40 minutes apart, and Chesterfield is more or less smack dab in the middle of those. I don't think it's a real word, but it is a cool nickname. They are known as the Spireites. Reason for that? Well, the most famous building in the town almost certainly is the Church of Mary and All Saints, and specifically because it has a very large spire that is crooked, and it is known by that name. The spire was added to the building in the 1300s. It is big, it is thick, and it is incredibly twisted. It's not just that it is leaning. The whole Google up a picture. It's fascinating. And there's a number of competing theories on why it might be that way. Uh, First of all, the Black Death was in the relatively recent past compared to when this was built on. So it might just not have been uh, well built because there were fewer uh, skilled workers around. Uh, Along with that, or perhaps separate from that, there simply may have been insufficient cross bracing to keep it from twisting and or a lot of green timber might have been used. One more competing theory is that the sun may have simply heated the lead on the south side more than the north side for whatever reason, and that led the whole thing to have that twisted look. 
There are also a bunch of folklore stories on why they almost all involve the devil. We'll go a little bit further down that rabbit trail if our adoptee, Chesterfield, can actually win this match. Now, they have had some success in their past. They won the EFL trophy, which is not this event, but it's the third most important tournament trophy in England. Did that in 2010-2011. Uh, They've also in league play, they've won the third tier twice, but that was way back in the 1930s before it is known as it is now as League One. They have won the fourth tier, League Two, four different times. Much more recently was the most recent time, 2013-14. Regarding this event, the FA Cup, they made the semifinals back in 1996-97, best they've ever done. This year's event, they had to enter in the fourth and final qualifying round before they got into this, what is called the event proper, where you start to get the professional teams added in. They advanced to this round, the third round, by getting a really impressive victory at AFC Wimbledon, which is a team from League Two, and they did it handily, nil two on the road. In their own league, they are currently in fourth place, so they're going to be in position to potentially compete in a a promotion playoff tournament and maybe get moved into League Two. Now, they're probably not going to win the league and get automatic promotion. They're a little ways down. They trail second place Wrexham FC by seven points and number one Knotts County by nine. But worth noting that they do have one and two matches in hand against those two teams, respectively. Stats-wise, their offense is where things get done. They are not one of the best in the league. They're number three, but it is a distant third place compared to the two top teams. They get over two goals per match. Defense is in the top third. Goal differential is number three. They're about where they really should be in the table. Three different players... Uh, lead them in scoring. That's what makes them so hard to stop on offense. They can come from a lot of places. With seven apiece are Kabango Chimenga. He is an attacker for them. Jeff King, who plays right back, a traditionally defensive position. And Joe Quigley, their striker. Team's current form, they have won two straight matches with an impressive six and two goal differential. And now just a little bit about West Bromwich Albion, their visiting opponent. They are from the West Midlands, also kind of in the West Central part of the country. 80,000 people there in the heart of what is known as Black Country because of the coal mining industry. The team is known as the Baggies, which I believe, amongst other things, might be a reference to protective work pants uh, from steel working and or coal working. They're also more commonly known these days, I believe, as the Throstles, pretty birds. Majority of their almost 150-year history, they have been in the top flight in England. They have one Division I title to their credit. It was a little bit before it was known as the Premier League. All the way back in 1919, 1920s, just over a century. Their success in the FA Cup has been a little bit more recent. They've won it five times, most recent, 1968. I didn't say recent, I said more recent. Less unrecent? I don't know. Take your pick. Currently in their league, they are in ninth place. Uh, By the way, they are in the second division, the EFL championship. They are currently one point behind number six Millwall for the last promotion playoff tournament slot for the end of the year. They're more of a defensively oriented team, top four in that regard. They only give up one goal per match. To that end, key player to look for for them, number one in the league in save percentage at almost 80%, Alex Palmer. 
He's been with this team his whole career, but he's been loaned out an awful lot. He made the most appearances with Lincoln City, which is a Division Three team. And we have a USA connection. Daryl Dike, their striker, 22 years old, who already has eight U.S. men's national team appearances to his credit. Team's current form, they have won three straight. 5-0 goal differential. And this is, of course, a fully professional team and should clearly be favored even on the road. Match number three. And now from Great Big Football England, home of the Premier League, the number one ranked league in UEFA, we go a completely different route. Say hello to the championship or Campeonato de Calcio in San Marino. Are you even familiar with it? I was and am, but not on a lot of particular details. This is a micro-state that is completely enclaved within Italy. It's only got about 30,000 people, and so they are at the very bottom of the UEFA coefficient rankings, the lowest-ranked league on the continent. Hey, it can't be helped when you're only the size of a small town, basically. Uh, still, their winner does get to go to the Champions Champions League, and they will send their second and third place teams to the Europa Conference League. Domestically, the top 12 of the 15 teams will make their league playoffs. The top four will have earned buys to the quarterfinals. The big matchup there this week is number B, Trey Fiori, and they are playing host to number one, La Florita. Here's how the table looks. La Florita currently have the lead by three. Trey Fiori, in turn, they lead number three, Cosmos, by just one. But rather than get into the particulars of the match, and this is a nation state that many of us simply may not might not be familiar with terribly. I thought it would be fascinating to learn a little bit of history about the microstate. And so I've taken the liberty of booking us a guest from European Academia, and I'll let him introduce himself and take it away. Uh, buongiorno, signore Noob. I'm Professor Vecinto Tizi of the University of Calamari. Now, historians have long held that the micronation of San Marino is the oldest constitutional republic in the world, formed circa 275 Anno Domini. Scorchese, or as you would say, poppycock. And enclaved entirely by Italy, the area was simply a part of the province of Rimini until 2012. The city of Rimini is on the Adriatic Sea and was one of the leading tourist destinations in all Europe. Now I say was because in the mid-2000s a rumor circulated that the area had become so decadent and so heathen that one could catch syphilis just from touching the doorknob of most any establishment. And so it was that the local economy tanked. The provincial government became desperate in need of funds. That's when the retired Hall of Fame NFL quarterback Dan Marino threw them a lifeline. He agreed to purchase the 23 square miles that make up what is now San Marino. He wanted to name it Dan Marino Land, but close advisors convinced him this was too on the nose. And so it was that San Marino was born. Now, some notable facts about San Marino. The 33,000 residents of the country are all technically indentured servants. But eternal duce, Dan Marino, is a benevolent dictator. 
He only requires lavish parades whenever he visits and on Super Bowl Sundays. Monte Tetano, on which the capital city of San Marino is built, is being sculpted like a Mount Rushmore in his likeness. The work is on hold, though, as his sumptuous curly hair has proven too difficult for current artists to replicate in likeness. It's the smallest country in the world to have won an Olympic medal, having earned silver in shooting at the 2020 Tokyo Games, and they lost to Spain by just one point. Will the world accept the true history of San Marino and allow it to remain an independent country? Did Dan start the STD rumor in order to facilitate a scheme to buy the region? Hmm. Will San Marino's Library of Congress ever include any other film than Ace Ventura Pet Detective? I hope that I can find these answers in my lifetime and revisit your show with them. Until then, this is Professore Vecino Tizi saying, Natuo Orecchio. Match number four. Well, that was uh, content. Yes, that was definitely content, and we thank you for it, sir. Rich, perhaps. Rewarding? Subjective. But definitely content. All right, match number four. Let's head back over to Western Europe, specifically France, to catch more FA Cup action. They are in their round of 64, just as England is. The matchup we're going to look for, for our minnow watching there, is RC Pace de Grasse versus La Tamponaise. Now, there's a very special reason that we've chosen uh, the particular teams that we have, or one of them anyway. We're going to start with your hosts, uh, RC Pays de Grasse. That is a new name for them. They were just known as RC Grasse until this year. Previously, they did not have the pace in there, but it means country in French. And I hope that I'm saying it right because they want to uh, do more branding to show that they are the team, not just for the town of Grasse, but for the surrounding area as well. To that end, Grasse is in the far southeast part of the country, little city of about 50,000 and change, and it is the perfume capital of the world. The flowers that are used for the spray perfumes, as well as a lot of food flavorings, grow there so well because of the microclimate and the geography. There is plenty of water in those hills, so they are not short on that, and it is a very hilly area. But more importantly, they are just far enough inland that they are sheltered from the sea winds that might be more damaging to the flowers. But otherwise, they get all the advantages that come with being in that Mediterranean climate. Now, as far as the club, they entered this round, uh, this event rather, two rounds ago. Last round, they advanced over a Tier 5 team, which was on Le Chateau football. And they beat them nil one on the road. This team, Grasse, they are actually a Tier 4 team, which means they play in the Championnat National, which is actually four different leagues in one. There are four groups of 16, and uh, they are in Group C. They've never been higher than this level. They're having an excellent league season. They're currently in second place, so who knows? They may be moving up one professional league higher next year. If so, they're doing it on the strength of their defense, by and large. They are top three in that particular regard. The offense isn't a whole lot worse. They're well-balanced, and they're tied for having the best goal differential in the league. 
On the offensive side, key player to look for, tied for third best in league scoring with 11 already, is Senegalese player Dame Gueye. I'm not even sure what position he plays, to be honest. It was a little bit tough on the fly to find information for a league this far down the French pyramid. Team's current form, they have won three straight with a 9-0 goal differential. Tough customers. But now, the real reason that we're covering this team, and we've talked about them from a previous round, probably been a month or so, and that is La Tamponese. Now, first of all, I know what you might be thinking about the name, and I invite you to remember that Team Noob does not run blue. We did not pick this team just because of the name. I'm going to let you make your own joke or your own assumptions. If you're not getting it, just move on. The A-I-S-E or A-I-S-S-E suffix in French is uh, demonymic, which basically means it has to do with people or things from an area, kind of like the A-N at the end of American. So mayonnaise is just something or someone from the city or region of Mayonne. The real reason we've chosen it is because they are the only remaining overseas team left in the event. No matter where they are in the world, the teams from the French overseas territories are eligible to play in the FA Cup, the Coupe de France. And this would be the only time, if they win, that an overseas team would have reached the round of 32. It's very, very rare. I believe that uh, cumulatively the French overseas leagues are kind of considered to be somewhere between the sixth and eighth level of French football. It's been a while since I've seen that particular factoid. So where exactly is it that they're from? Well, the nation or overseas territory is Réunion which is a uh, territory that's east of Madagascar. So it's out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Most of their territories are either in South America or uh, largely in the Caribbean. Now, the town they play for is, of course, then Le Tampon, which is actually more of a commune as opposed to a town. It's in the south central part of the country, about 80,000 people there. Pop culture wise, the one thing it's really famous for is all the way back in the 19th century, there was a character called, not character, is a real person called Sitarane, who was a purported sorcerer and most definitely a high volume murderer. And there is still a cult there for him today that still kind of worships him, talks about him, and tries to practice uh, at least the sorcerer portion of things from what I gather. I wonder if they travel well to away days. Could they get visas to get to mainland France? These are things I wonder. Anyway, the club was founded in its current form in 1982. Like so many clubs around the world, it's actually the merger of two much older clubs. Domestically, they've won their ele- they've won their league title eleven times. Most recently, twenty twenty one. They are, I believe, what's called associate members of the African Football Confederation, the CAF, and they have gotten to participate in the Champions League there four different times. Most recently in two thousand nine. As you might expect, they've never gotten very far. In fact, never passed the first round. They've already had to win three different rounds to get to this particular stage already, although two of those were not exactly official Coupe de France matches. They had to beat a couple of teams from their own country outside of league play in order to qualify. Last round, they did have to play a mainland team, and they actually traveled to visit La Tamponese, and that was FCM 
Aubervilliers from uh, the fifth tier of French football, and Les Tampones beat them 1-0 in a surprise upset. And that's the second win they've ever had against a mainland team ever in their entire long history. League play this year. Well, the top flight there is called the Regional One, and they just finished the season in fourth place. That was in November. Their defense was not that great compared to a lot of other teams in the league, at least according to ordinal rank, but really it wasn't that high scoring a league. Uh, they had a top four offense, fifth best overall goal differential. So they've sort of uh, played over their heads, so to speak, by getting this far in the French FA Cup. And we say good luck to them. Match number five. Back to Asia we go for more cup action, but not FA Cup action. This is going to be somewhat analogous to that AFF Cup. Say hello to the Arabian Gulf Cup. Now, this is an event that this year is being hosted in Basra, Iraq. This is a biennial event, and like the AFF Cup, it is a standalone event. That means it's not a qualifier for any sort of other international events. The teams that are a part of this, they have been divided into two groups of four. They play a single round robin, and the top two from each group will advance. Now, the Arabian Gulf Cup is for the eight member nations that all are adjacent to the Gulf. Not a real surprise there. The matchup that we're going to look at is Yemen versus Saudi Arabia. Yemen, to be perfectly honest, are probably not going to be really relevant for really long, and so we want to get to know them a little bit uh, before they fade a little bit into irrelevance comparatively. Now, this is the only member nation of the eight to have never won the event, in fact. So they are seated last in uh, this sub-football federation, and they're ranked uh, number 155 in the world by FIFA. Best they've ever done in that regard is achieved the number 110 ranking. That was a little over 10 years ago. The current ranking they're holding is the worst one they've ever had. They are known as the Eagles of Sheba. Now, Sheba, it turns out, is a biblical age kingdom that might have been in southern Arabia, where Yemen is, or it might have been in the Horn of Africa. It is a debated topic. Now, they are also known as the Cottonite Arabs. This is not a name I was familiar with at all, but it turns out these are southern Arabians or people who are descended from certain southern Arabians who they believe there were the original Arabs. And finally, they also carried the nickname of the Happy Yemen. Not exactly the most intimidating name I've heard of. Maybe there's something lost in the translation, as can so often be the case. Now, this is a team, this won't come as a real surprise, but they've never qualified for the World Cup. But in fact, they've never qualified for the Asian Cup either. Now, the Western Asian Football Federation, sort of the, uh, I don't want to say more official, but... Uh, the AGC is not part of the uh, AFC the way the WAFF is. I know it's a lot of alphabet soup, but suffice it to say, there is a WAF championship for teams from this region, and this team has made three appearances. 2010, they made the semifinals, best they've ever done. 2019 was their most recent appearance, and they made the group stage that year. They have yet to score a goal or earn a point in this particular event in nine appearances, if my notes are right. Uh, that's a lot of epic failure. Here's to hoping maybe they can at least net one, although wouldn't an upset be fun? The most capped player on this team, he's got just over 60 of them, is Mudir al uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, R-A-D-A-E-I, uh, Radei. 
Anyway, he plays for Al-Ali Club Sanaa. And then their top scorer on the team, and he's a defender for Al-Idahad in Oman, is Abdelwaseya Al-Matari. He's got just over 50 national team caps, and he has scored eight goals for country and team. Team's current form, well, in their last three friendlies, they're 3-0. But to take a little luster off that, those were all against club teams. Two of them were specifically against second division Egyptian club teams. And the third one, I couldn't even find any information on quickly. So I have a feeling uh, that they are probably from an even lower tier somewhere than that. And now your probable favorites from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I say probable because I've learned that not only are they not sending any of the starters from their World Cup team, they didn't even send the regular manager. They sent the reserve team manager. So this is an event that some of the bigger powers in this region, at the very least, aren't taking as seriously as some might hope. Uh, But they are known as the Green or Arabian Falcons. They are second ranked in this particular grouping. And uh, they carry a FIFA rank, I believe, currently of number 34. Best they've ever achieved was number 21. That was in 2004. They have made six World Cup appearances, all of them since 1994, including qualifying for the last two iterations. And uh, they have a one, they had a 1-0-2 record in both of their last two visits to the World Cup. 1994, they made the round of 16. That's the best they've ever done. With the Asian Championships, the Asian Cup, they are three-time titleists. Last time they hoisted that trophy was 1996. The 2019 event was their most recent. They finished in the round of 16. They won the FIFA Arab Cup, which I gather is somewhat uh, similar to this event, two different times, 1998 and 2002. 2021, they went winless in the group stage. They've won this particular event three different times, but the last one, it's been a minute, 2003-2004. They were runners-up in 2019, the most recent version of this event. Interesting note for them, all of their roster players are with Saudi Arabian clubs. I don't know that they don't export players to other places, maybe, maybe in Europe or even South America, hypothetically, but it could at least be a requirement that their players have to play for Saudi clubs or they simply won't be eligible. And I'm a little bit unsure of some of the information I found when it came to the current roster in in terms of tenure. It looks on the surface like they have an incredibly young team with maybe as few as six players actually with international caps. The most capped player that they have, I believe, with a dozen is Zayed Al-Sahafi. He's a defender who plays for Saudi club Al-Tawun. Team's current form, well, as I mentioned, they went 1-0-2 in the World Cup. And who could ever forget, perhaps, the greatest upset in World Cup history when they got their win over Argentina. Are the kitties oh so hungry just because Person Noob is not here to feed them? Nah, I'm capable of taking care of that. They must want to recap of last week's matches. Let's give it to them. Last week, Friday, match number one was from the Premier League of Sudan. Number B, Marek. They came to call at number one, Halal Omdurman. They played to a nil-nil draw, no change in the table there. Sunday, match number B from League One in France. Number B, Lance took on number one, PSG. And surprise, surprise, uh, they're still in the same table positions, but the league race is closer. Lance won three to one. 
man of the match, we said to look out for a possibility. And Komit Lois Openda had a goal and an assist. Again, no change in the table there. Match number three from Ghana's Premier League. Number one, Adewana Stars versus number B, Asante Kotoko. They played to a nil-nil draw. No change in the table there. Match number four, another Premier League, this time from Israel. Number one, Maccabi Haifa took on number three, Hapoel Ba'er Sheva. And this time, not a scoreless draw. Maccabi Haifa did net a couple of them. Got a 2-0 win. No change in the table, though, there either. Monday, match number five from the Scotland Premier League. Number B, Rangers versus number one, Celtic. Yes, the old firm, Derby. And they played to a draw, but not a scoreless one. 2-2, two two. Rangers. Uh, James Tavernier, their star, had a goal. And uh, Celtic had an equalizer in the 88th minute from league scoring leader, Kyogo Furuhashi. Match number six from the NIFL. That's the top flight in Northern Ireland. Number three, Cliftonville versus number one, Larna. And Cliftonville got a 2-1 win. That moved them up into second place, looking for that only Champions League berth out of that league. Tuesday, match number seven from the Premier League of England. Number one, Arsenal took on number three, Newcastle. We had a nil-nil draw there. No change in the table. Match number eight from the AFF Cup. Group stage, number three in their group, Malaysia versus number B, Singapore. And Malaysia, oh, they got their winning on with a 4-1 win. So the two of them switched positions at the table. And since it was the last match of the group stage, that means that Malaysia have advanced over Singapore into the knockout round. So the top two from each group got to advance. Wednesday, match number nine from Italy's Serie A. Number five, Inter versus number one, Napoli. And Inter handed Napoli, ooh, their first loss of the season, one nil in the process moved themselves up to fourth place and temporarily at least into a Champions League slot. Match number 10 from the Cypriot First Division. Yeah, Cyprus. Number 3, AEK Larnica versus number B, Paphos in one of the truly great races in the world, not just all of Europe. And it was AEK getting a 1-0 win. The two of them switched positions as Larnica's star Omri Altman had the goal. And now your bonus matches with explanations coming a little bit later on. Thursday's round of the week was from the Premier League in Egypt. Number 16 out of the 18 teams, Ian PPI, took on uh, number B at the time, All Ailey. It was an All Ailey win, no surprise. Nil two, not as big a route though as we thought it might be. And that moved All Ailey up to number one. Ian PPI actually on the heels of a win earlier in that week, are now at number 14 despite this particular loss. Your most meaningless match in the world was a Wednesday match from the Persian Gulf Pro League. That's the top flight in Iran. Number six, Aluminium took on number 10, Fulad, and it was Fulad getting the road upset. Nil one. That moved them all the way up to number six, and Aluminium down to number eight, which are still very meaningless positions in the table. And finally, your match of disappointment. Thursday ended our week. Qatar Stars League. Uh, they had number 12, Al Rayon, taking on number 11, Al Salia. No two teams worse than them, and Rayon actually managed to win. They got two. Nil victory. Man, we said to look for Johan Boli had a goal. Is it a Boli goal? Maybe not. It is now. The two of them switched positions in the table. They'll probably still both get relegated. How nice for them. Not. And that concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's get back into tracking the upcoming week's matches with... Match number six.
Now we can flip the calendar page to Sunday. We're going to pay a visit to La Liga over in Spain, the second-ranked league in all of UEFA. Thusly, they max out on international tournament appearances, with four headed to the group stage of the Champions League, another one to the Europa League, and one more to the playoff round of the tertiary tournament, fairly new, the Europa Conference League. This won't exactly be new territory or probably new information for truly veteran footy fans. This will be a little bit more for burgeoning fans like me. Your matchup, number four, Atletico Madrid, taking on number one, Barcelona. Barcelona currently lead Real Madrid by just seven points on goal differential. Goal differential, so a very tenuous hold on their lead. They lead Atletico Madrid by 11 points. Now, Atletico Madrid, they lead number five, Club Atletico Bilbao and Real Betis by two points. So there's going to be a a dramatic game of musical chairs uh, going on probably all the way through season's end, perhaps for that final Champions League berth. The series between these two has heavily been in Barcelona's favor, 19-11-5. They haven't dropped many points over the last several years. One can watch this on ESPN Plus or ESPN Deportes, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. Now, Atletico Madrid, they have a couple of uh, interesting nicknames of the Indians, historical, or the mattress makers, also, I suppose, historical in a sense. The stripes that are on their jerseys historically uh, were apparently thought to look like the patterns on mattresses that were very common to the area. The club is ranked number 11 by UEFA, at least as of a couple months ago, the last record I saw. They have won 11 league titles. I believe the last one was 2021. They've only won two of those this century, though. They've won three Europa League titles. 2017-18 was the last time. They just competed in the Champions League group stage, but alas, they finished in last place. They have made the final twice, and the last time was 2015-16. Now, league play. Last year, they finished in third. This year, very well-balanced team. Top five offense, top five defense, number four overall goal differential. On the scoring leaderboard for them, be sure to look for Alvaro Morata, center forward. He's got six goals all the season already. He's got quite the resume. He's played for Real, uh, Juventus from over in Serie A, Chelsea from Premier League. He actually just came back from a couple of seasons on loan with Juve. And then tied for second best in assists in the league with five of those. Antoine Griezmann from France, center forward, one of the big stars from the World Cup. He's also got five goals on the year. He's actually on loan here from Barcelona. So I am not 100% certain that he will get to play. I'm pretty sure the Premier League in England has a rule in place like that. Could be the same in La Liga. Uh, Now, he played five seasons here earlier in his career as well and has well over 100 French national team appearances. Team's current form, well, they've won five straight. That's across all competitions as well as a friendly during the World Cup break. And now Barcelona, one of your historical behemoths. 26 league titles. Last one was 2018-19. Five Champions League titles, 2014-15 was the last time. They just finished in third in the Champions League group stage, so that means that they dropped down to the Europa League where they will play Man United in that event's round of 16. Last year, they finished in second place. This year, the defense, more than impressive. They are giving up only 0.4 goals per match. Are the other teams even trying? And they've got a top two offense to go with that as well. Number one overall goal differential should be your favorites to win the league. 
Number one scorer by lots and lots, Robert Lewandowski, who made the move over here from Bayern Munich after so many years. Polish striker. He's also tied for number four in assists on the season of the league. Whether or not he'll get to play is a big question. He might be facing a three-match suspension right now. Uh, the next best team scorer that they'll have to lean on if uh, Lewandowski is unavailable is Usmani Dembele. He's got four on the season. Frenchman plays right winger for them. And because the defense is so good, I want to mention their goalkeeper, number one in terms of assists and – or not assists, clean sheets – and save percentage is Marc-Andre Ter Stegen from Germany. Team's current 4-5-1-0 in the last half dozen, although they haven't had any clean sheets in the last three. When you're going on the road, well, let's just say they're going to want to have their defense in order. Match number seven. And now we're going to head to Asia for a European match. A little confusing, I'll clarify. We're headed to Turkey specifically. Their Super League is ranked number 12 on the continent. That is up eight from a year ago. Because of the previous lower ranking, this year they'll only get to send one team to next year's Champions League, the first qualifying round, all the way back there. Yeah. And then two teams to the Europa Conference League second qualifying round. Your matchup is number B, Fenerbahce, taking on number one, Galatasaray, in what is known as the Intercontinental Derby. These are also two of the countries that are part of what are considered the big three historically, along with uh, Besiktas. Now, it's the Intercontinental Derby because, and I'm sure you could guess this by now, Fenerbahce are in Istanbul on the Asian side of the Bosphorus, while number one, Galatasaray, they are on the European side. The table, well... Galatasaray currently just have a one-point lead, and then Fenerbahce have a little bit of breathing room compared to number three, Istanbul, Basak Sahir. They lead them by five. It's been a very even series in recent years. Fenerbahce, 10 wins, 12 draws, nine losses. You can catch this version of it at 11 o'clock Eastern time of the U.S. on BN Sports and BN Sports and Espanol, if that is your preference. Fenerbahce. They are ranked just outside the top 100 clubs in all of UEFA. And they've got one of those nicknames you don't run across too often, and I love those. They are known as the Yellow Canaries. Also, their club, it's not a district or something like that, like I thought it might be. It actually translates from Turkish to Lighthouse Garden, as the club is named for a famous lighthouse at the Fenerbahce Cape. They are the second most supported team in the country, after Galatasaray, quite the rivalry. 19 league titles to their credit, and I am sure they are itching to wear that crown once again because they haven't done so since 2013 14. 2007 and 8, they won the champion, or they didn't win the Champions League. They got to the Champions League quarterfinal. Best they've ever done there. This year, they lost to Dinamo Kiev in the second qualifying round. Since then, they have earned their way into the round of 16 in the Europa League. Not sure it's been determined who they'll play there yet. If they can get to the semifinal, that will tie the best they've ever done internationally. They got there in 2012-13. League play, last year they were runners-up. This year, on offense, they are just killing it. Two and two-thirds goals per match, number one by a lot. They've got a good enough defense that that gives them the number one overall goal differential in the league. Their star, Enner Valencia from Ecuador. If you followed the World Cup, you got to know his name a little bit, play center forward for them. He's got 13 on the season, but he might not be adding to that total. He might be out with an injury. I didn't see the specific injury listed on the source I used. It just said discomfort. 
Well, I got a feeling by this time of season when they're nearly halfway through, everybody's got some discomfort. And then uh, if he is gone, the guy they'll lean on more heavily than ever, number five league score, eight on the season, and is Missy Michibashui. He is a Belgian striker who spent the last several seasons with Chelsea, or at least they had the rights to him. He was mostly loaned out. And he's a more accurate shooter than Valencia. Valencia just shoots with higher volume. Tied for number four in the league in assists is the singularly named Lincoln. He's got four of those. He's from Brazil and plays attacking midfielder. Spent his last three seasons further west with Santa Clara in uh, the Portuguese Primeira Liga. And they've got the best goalkeeper in the league with eight clean sheets, Alte Bayendir. Team's current form, they have won two straight with a 6-1 goal differential. And now Galatasaray. That translates to Galata Palace, uh, which is named basically after a Genoese-style citadel in the region. That's pretty cool. They should have named themselves the Citadels. What did they go with instead? Ugh. The Lions, yeah, roar me up. Every third club in the world, you know how I feel about this long-time listeners. I am officially no longer a fan of Gladys Arai, if I ever was. They have won the league title 22 times, though, have the Lions. 2018-19 was the last one. They've won the tournament that is now known as the Europa League once. That was back in 1999-2000. 2013-14 Champions League quarterfinal is the best they've ever done in that event here in the modern era. Uh, 21-22 season uh, their, was their most recent international appearance. They fell out of the Champions League in the second qualifying round and then out of the Europa League at the round of 16. Last year, goodness what happened, they only finished in 13th place. Uh, maybe a little salary cutting and maybe they're back to it. Welcome back, Elias Sarai, I guess, in any case. That's their worst finish in a top flight league ever, going back to at least... 1906. Wow. Woof. Uh, This year, they've made improvements everywhere. They've got a top three defense, or offense rather, and they're tied for having the number one defense in the league. Top two goal differential. They'll be in the thick of it till the very end. Key players for them. Tied for number six in league scoring with seven is Bafetimbi Gomez from France. Veteran, 37 years old, plays striker. French League One fans will remember him from his long stint early in his career with Lyon. He came over here most recently, though, from Al-Halal over in Saudi Arabia. Tied for third best in clean sheets in the league with six, their goalkeeper, Fernando Muslera, another veteran, 36, from Uruguay. He's been with this club since 2011. Uh, Serie A fans might know him from his years in the mid-late 2000s with Lazio. Their best player overall, the Turkish League is one of my favorite ones to follow, can't you tell? They'll always have four or five teams in the thick of the race by the very end of it. Best player they have going is Sasha Bowie. He plays right back for them. Frenchman, 22 years old. Uh, he's played for his home country teams like Ran and Dijon. Very accurate passer. He's a pretty fair tackler. All around young and talented enough that he's been linked with uh, Crystal Palace, Real Madrid, Leon, teams from all the big leagues uh, over further west in Europe. Liverpool are the ones who are most recently chasing him. But ownership has made it clear that they are not going to sell him till after the season since they're in the title chase. Yeah, once they start throwing tens upon tens of uh, euros at that club, we'll, we'll see what really happens. Team's current form, they have won five straight matches. Match number eight. After a weekend chock full of action like that, you deserve a couple days off. We will jump back into the match tracking on 
Wednesday and head down under. Australia's A-League women is several games in. This is a league that was founded in 2008, currently has 11 teams, and it's pretty darn early in their season, to be honest. But there's a good-looking matchup. Number three, Western United, playing host to number B, Sydney FC. They are part of a three-way tie on points in the table with number one, Melbourne City. These three collectively lead a Melbourne victory by three in the table. Also worth noting that Western United have a match in hand against their co-leaders, so advantage to them. But that's all we're going to learn because as longer time listeners will know, by this time of show, noob gets hungry. I get the rumbly and the tumbly. We take a culture break, which oftentimes can mean other elements of culture, but usually means food. And this week is going to be no exception to that rule. Now, We like to look at things that are local to the area. So I'll tell you that where Western United is from is a suburb of Melbourne called Truganina. And it is named for Truganini, who's believed to be the last woman of full Aboriginal Tasmanian descent in the area back in the 19th century. So sort of in honor of that and as our local connection, we're going to look at an Aboriginal and somewhat deserty food, Wichity, uh, Wichity Grub Soup. Now, what is a witchetty, you ask? <laughs> you might wish you didn't. It's a large, white, wood-eating moth larva. Yeah, it looks just as appetizing when it's raw as what you're going to expect. But this is a, this was a really important insect desert food for uh, the Aboriginal peoples, the number one source of protein for them. The name means hooked stick and grub and refers to the plant that you're going to find these around uh, the Wichita. They are often eaten raw or were. Uh, more commonly, I think in uh, more recent times, you'll find them getting lightly cooked in hot ashes and maybe even seasoned a little bit. It's actually a not uncommon snack food. One non-food element to this particular uh, grub and or the plant is that it's featured as a dreaming or totemistic element in uh, Aboriginal uh, societies. For certain families or sub-tribes, uh, they'll have various totemistic elements that in order uh, represent their uh, family or clan uh, mythology or lore, and they are incredibly proprietary about it. Even in modern times, there can be lawsuits over people who even tried to paint murals of them or use them in other ways. Now, back to the soup Wichity grub soup, what's in it? Well, besides your larva, you're going to need oil, dried onions, peppercorns, hopefully you can find some native ones to Australia, salt, powdered milk, you're going to want to make that thick, and then additionally, you're going to want flour for a thickening agent. The how-to, it's not a terribly complicated recipe. First, you're going to saute the grubs by themselves in oil before you ever add any other soup elements. Once that's done, they're going to look and taste like roast chicken. But on the inside, you're going to find more, uh, you would guess that it was like uh, egg yolk. It's very yellow and has that same text from what I understand and texture. Once you've sauteed those bad boys and girls, you add the stock, crumbled chicken cube, peppercorns, and salt. Cook that all together for 20 minutes, then add your thickened milk. Then you can let that sit a bit. Make your water flour paste at the consistency you want, but it really does well as a very thick consistently. And you're going to add that as the very last 
piece. Now, I don't know how easy for, uh, I'm guessing most of you uh, listeners are here uh, stateside or in the Western Hemisphere, so I don't know how easy these particular grubs are to get. So to invite you to make this and try it on your own, might be pushing my luck a little bit, but I hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit something about the food culture from this part of the world. Match number nine. Our other Wednesday match is the only one that brings us close to home, at least if home is where I am, the U.S. This is the Turks and Caicos Premier League, where they are in their Apertura stage. This is a league that was founded in 1999. If you're not familiar with it, don't worry tiny Caribbean nation and no teams have ever gone to the trouble of competing in any Caribbean or CONCACAF events. The league nevertheless is ranked number 16 in the region, at least according to Kick Algorithms, a site that I know and trust. It is only six teams deep this year. The winner will go to the playoffs, so they'll get to play the winner of the Apertura, or closing stage. They're about halfway through the Apertura. That's five matches in. They just do a double round robin and they call it done. The matchup, nevertheless, is a top two. So as we like to say here, if it's important where it's being played, it is on our radar. Number one, Teachers FC versus number B, SWA Sharks. They are tied in the table on points. Teachers lead by five on goal differential. Uh, all the other teams in the league are several points back with either six or five points. These two, I believe, have ten. Teachers FC, actually both teams are, I believe, it was hard to find a lot of information on these, from uh, Providenciales, which is the third biggest city on the island. Uh, it's the third biggest city in the country, and it's on the island of the same name of the far west. About 25,000 people, majority of the population is there. They play at TCIFA National Stadium, which has a capacity of about 3,000. This is a really touristy area. Uh, nature fans will know, perhaps, that this is very close to humpback whale migration routes. So if you're interested in that, this is one of those great places to be. I don't believe they've ever won the league title. Amazingly, I couldn't find stuff as easily going back two or three years. Pretty sure they didn't win it last year, and I know they didn't win it before 2019. Uh, 2021-22 Clausura at that stage, they finished in third place. This season, they've got the number one offense by a lot. They've uh, been managing four goals and change per match this year. Number three defense, they're giving up two. So this is a high-scoring league. They've got the number one overall goal differential. Team's current form, they have won two straight matches. A little fun side note, their biggest win of the year, they won 1-12 on the road at Flamingos. And now SWA, the Sharks, they play in the same location. They've won the league title twice that I can find, 2001 and then uh, the 2019 overall season. They won, oh, also the 2021-22 Clausura by one point over Blue Hills, but I don't believe that they won the overall title last year. They've got the second best offense and defense going and goal differential. Their offense isn't anywhere near as good as their opponents today, although two and a half goals a match is nothing to sneeze at. These are the only two teams, by the way, in the league that have a positive goal differential. Nobody else is going to be catching up with them. Teams current form, well, they're unbeaten in their last three, although they did just have to endure a nil-nil draw at home versus number five, Academy Eagles. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! We round out our main 10 on Thursday, heading back to the site of the World Cup, 
Qatar, where their top flight is called the Stars League. It is the number seven ranked league in Asia that is down two spots from a year ago. They only get one Champions League berth as things stand. But with the AFC, they calculate that a couple, three times a year at least. So things are very, very fluid in that regard. Uh, They're over a third of the way through the season here, maybe just a little bit behind the Western European leagues. Your matchup is number three, Al-Wakra, versus number one, Al-Arabi. A glance at the table shows us this. Al-Arabi with 19 points. Second place, Al-Duhail with 17. Al-Wakra with 15. And then Al-Garatha at 12. So even this early in the season, we're starting to see a little bit of spacing. Wakra, though, do have a match in hand versus all those other teams that I mentioned. Series between these two, last season or so, Dead even at 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. Wakra, now that is a city that is just south of Doha, immediately adjacent to it, east central part of the country, second biggest city in the country with a, maybe 100,000 people, translates to Bird's Nest. Their nickname is an interesting one. It's got the color involved, which is pretty uh, cliche, but they're very specific with the shade. They are known as the Cyan Waves. They are the only undefeated team in the league right now. Two league titles to their credit, but it's uh, been since the turn of the century since they won one, the end of the 2000-01 season. They've made two appearances in the now Champions League. It had a different name uh, all the way up until the very early start of this century, 2000 and in 01. They made back-to-back visits, but were out in the first round both times. Last year, they finished in third place in the league. This year, number one, offense and defense and goal differential, just despite the fact that they are in third place. Key player to look for, tied for number one in league scoring with eight, is the singularly named Gelson. He is from Angola, plays midfield. A sporting CP in Portugal, one of the big three there. They had the rights to him all through his career until last June, but they always loaned him out. He played uh, for a smaller club in Portugal, although in the top flight, Rio Ave, and over in Turkey for a pretty decent club in Antalya Sport. Team's current form, well, they just beat number nine, Al-Sad, to snap a streak of two straight draws. Now, Al-Arabi, they are one of the capital city teams there in Doha. Seven titles, but none this century. 1996-97 was the last time. 1994-95, they were runners-up in what is now the Champions League. 2012 was their only recent appearance. Last year, they finished in fourth place. This year, very well balanced. Top three offense, getting almost two goals per match. A top three defense as well. Tied for number three and scoring for them with three on the year is Omar Al-Soma from Syria. Plays center forward. He's actually on loan here from a different club that I think in the recent years has been near or at the very top of the table, Al-Ali. Team's current form, they are 2-1-0 in their last three with an 8-3 goal differential. Bring forth the bonus matches! But from whence do they come? Well, they come from you, or at least you get to vote on them. My handle on Twitter is Soccer Noob USA. Early in every week, I put up candidate matches for these three very special games. You vote. Dreamy content coalesces. It's magical, quite frankly. The first one is a first versus last place matchup. We dramatically call the... Route, 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 route. Of, 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 of. The week, week. Week, week. 
and it can't get any more dramatic than a homemade echo sound effect from a toddler, basically, at the time, can it? All right. The one that you have voted for for the route of the week is the Sunday match from Japan's WE or Women's Empowerment League. This is the first fully professional league that they have ever had in Japan on the women's side of things. And they are in their second season. They currently have 11 teams. Uh, There's no international births at stake, at least as of right now. I think that the AFC is working on a women's version of the Champions League. Neither is there any relegation out of this league. They're about a third of the way through the season. Your matchup, number one, INAC Kobe Leonessa, taking on last place. Number 11, Albirex Niigata. Now, Kobe, they currently lead Urawa by one is all. So they're not likely to fall asleep for this match, unfortunately, uh, for Niigata. Uh, Niigata, in turn, they trailed number 10, Parsairo Nagano, by two. So let's take a look at Kobe first. Now, that is the seventh largest city in the country, about a million and a half people, on on the main island of Honshu. It's in the southern part. It's a major port city. In fact, they even do more port business than bigger nearby uh, Osaka. The club was founded all the way back in 2001. They won the former Division I uh, league, which still exists. It is now a semi-professional and the second biggest league, not a Shiko league, three different times, most recently in 2011. They haven't finished lower than number three in league play since 2014, though. Oh, and their other title, they did finish number one last year. This year, they appear on their way to a third right now as they're the only undefeated team remaining. Second best offense, over two goals per match. Number one defense, only two goals every three matches so far. Number one goal differential. Key guy to look for, number B in the league scorer with four is Megumi Takase. 15 national team caps. She earned those between 2010 and 2015. She's a bit of a veteran, and it looks like she's retired from international play. Team's current form, well, they have won four straight matches. And now, your severe underdogs and perhaps roadkill in waiting, Albirex Niigata. We always have the goal of looking for just a little slimmer of hope. Sliver of hope, by the way, when it comes to these teams that are at the very bottom. Uh, They are on the uh, island of Honshu as well. They are a west-centrally located team on the coast. About 800,000 people there. Club was founded in 2002. They don't have any titles or runner-up finishes, but in 2014, they did finish third in the Natashiko 1. Last year, they were only in eighth place. This year, they are the only winless team left, so the opposite of their counterparts today. Worst offense going, only scoring a goal every other match on average. The defense is actually pretty average, to be perfectly honest. So they've got that going for them. But things are close enough in the defensive regard statistically that they're still tied for having the worst overall goal differential. But now our sliver of hope, our silver lining, whatever you want to call it, they just got a win in the Empress's Cup tournament over uh, fellow Division I club JEF United. They beat them at home. 2-0, and you can't have a winning streak until you win the first one. So nothing against Kobe, but good luck to the last place team, because wouldn't it be fun to see an upset in the route of the week? Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. And we didn't even have to have a vote for it this week. And the good news is we don't have to hop on a plane this time if we don't want to. I'm kind of sick of airline peanuts, aren't you? 
We're going to stay right here in the Japanese WE League. They provided us the only candidate match of two teams that are equidistant from the top and bottom. Number five, Nojima Stella versus number six, Omiya Ardija Ventus. They are a part of a three-way tie with number seven, Elfin Saitama at this point in the season. We'll talk about Nojima first. The full name is Nojima Stella Kanagawa Sagamihara. I think I got that right. The third element of that is the town, and the fourth element of that is... Uh, the uh, prefecture or province, essentially. It is the fifth most populous suburbs in the southwest of the much greater Tokyo area, about three-quarters of a million people. As the manufacturers have left that particular area to go to places where the labor is a little bit cheaper, it's really become more of just truly a commuter city for greater Tokyo, and they've moved a lot of government offices there. Offices? Yeah, that's right. Uh, They only got moved up to the top division in 2017. Their number three finish in the Nadashiko won league in 2018, the best they've ever done. Last year, they were in 10th place. We might have found them in our third and final bonus match. Maybe they even were, and I don't remember. Uh, this year, the offense is pretty good, top four in the league, uh, but they've got tied for the worst defense. That's what's dragging them down. They're giving up almost one and a half goals per match, and that's a lot in this particular grouping. They've got tied for the fourth best goal differential overall, negative one, and that smacks up perfect meaninglessness. Tied for number three in league scoring, though, looking to buoy them with her three goals so far is Ami Sugita. She plays midfielder and has seven national team appearances under her belt. For them, they have won two straight matches. And now your visitors, Omiya Ardija Ventus. This team was founded in 1996 as a high school team, of all things. Now, originally the club was named FC Jumanji, which is Latin for wind, and Ventus, which the whole thing is supposed to be a pun on the Italian uh, giant uh, team name Juventus. You can see the portmanteau there, basically, a Jew from Jumanji and then Ventus. I don't think that actually means anything in Japanese or maybe even by itself in Italian. The team plays out of the uh, city of Niza in the Saitama province. Has about 170,000 people there. There's still some manufacturing uh, left, but uh, largely it's a commuter city now in the greater Tokyo conurbation, I believe in the uh, west or maybe the southwest. Last year they finished in ninth place, and it appears by my usual source to have been the first time that they had ever played in Division One. Uh, This year, they're sort of the opposite statistical of their opponents. They don't have much of an offense. They only get one goal per match. But the defense is top three in the league. Good for the overall uh, either number four or number five goal differential. Team's current form, well, they just lost to number four, Tokyo Verdi Beleza, nil two at home. And that, unfortunately for them, snapped a two-match winning streak. And now we end our show with unmitigated scorn. This is the match of Disappointed! And the iron angst that is brought is thanks to the bottom two teams from the Egyptian Premier League who will be facing off on Sunday. Will not be easy on the eyes. The league collectively is the second best league in the CAF. No thanks to the Sazak bottom feeders. At the top of the league, well, two teams will go to the Champions League. Two teams will go to the Secondary Confederation Cup. Ah, but this is more the speed of these losers. 
Three of the teams are going to get relegated. They still have time to save themselves, but probably won't. They're a third of the way through the season. Your matchup, number 18, Haras El Hodod versus number 17, Ismaili. Ismaili currently uh, lead Hodod by three on goal differential, so they're nearly equally horrible. Uh, they both trail number 15, Farco, by two. That represents the point of safety from the relegation zone. Series between these two, uh, Haras El Hodud, slight advantage the last couple three years with a 5-4-3 and three record. Both teams have only managed to win one lone game this season, and one might wonder how either of them even managed that. First, Haras El Hodud, they play out of a neighborhood in Alexandria called El Max. It's just west of the city proper, I believe. The full name of the club translates to Border Guard Club. Boy, that wouldn't be a very popular one here in the States, would it? They've never been to the Champions League. They have, however, made five Confederation Cup appearances between them. That's the secondary international club tournament in Africa. Uh, those were all between 2006 and 2011. They made the group stage three times, most recently in 2010. But then they got relegated after the 2019-2020 season. You'd have thought they'd learned their lesson, but here they are to curse us as a top-flight team once again. As last year, they won Group C of Division Two. They've got uh, three Division Two sub-leagues in that country. The offense is really bad. They're only getting like uh, not even two-thirds of a goal per match on average. And yet, somehow, the defense is even worse, and they've got the worst overall goal differential. Rather than tell you key players to look for, we want to tell you who to wish you could throw things at. Well, maybe figuratively, not literally, that would be me. Nevertheless, the worst regular starter on their team statistically looks to be Waki Abdel Hakim. Uh, he plays attacker for them purportedly doesn't have a goal or an assist to show for it. He came over from his mainly this year on a free transfer. So out of the frying pan into the fire, even if he's largely setting it himself teams current form one, one and one in their last three, but they're getting progressively worse. Once again, with that sequence being win, draw loss chronologically. And now Ismaili, they play out of the city of Ismailia, which is on the North is the northeast part of the country on the west bank of the Suez Canal. In fact, the city was actually founded during the building of the canal. Uh, they're starting to edge up a one and a half million people here, uh, for better or perhaps largely for worse, depending on your take. Uh, this place is perhaps most famously known as being the birthplace of the political organization Muslim Brotherhood. The club was founded in 1921 as El Nada SC. Now that's N-A-D-A-H, not the same as the Spanish spelling of a word that we pronounce the same way. Nevertheless, we are amused by the fact that uh, this team is pretty much worth nada. Uh, they are known as the Brazilians, or so I read, for their style of play. I thought the Brazilians were supposed to be pretty good at football because the style of this team is a, a crap city, quite frankly. Uh, 1969, they were the first Egyptian and Arabic team to win an African title. So uh, it's been a while, but they've got some success way, way back. Makes one wonder what happened. Uh, 2003, a little bit more recently, they did finish in second place in the Champions League, but it appears to have been all downhill since then. Their last international appearance, well, they did make one in 2018-19 played in the Champions League. Fair play. They've also made several uh, Confederation Cup appearances, 2005 group stage. That was the best one that they've had this century. They've won the league three, title three times. 2001-2002 was the last time. 
None of these players were probably just about alive when it happened. Last year, they finished in ninth place. It was a harbinger of things to come. This year, they've got the number four offense in the league. Credit where it's due. They're not too bad in that regard. Unfortunately, where they are terrible is their defense. They're giving up uh, a fair bit over one goal per match, and that is tied for 11th place in the league. They've got the number 15 overall goal differential. That would lead one to believe that they might have a shot of climbing out of the relegation zone, but I think it's going to be pretty tight. The worst player on their regular roster, oh, that would be defender Barsam Morsi. He's got a passing percentage uh, accuracy under 60%. That I believe is the worst that I have ever seen. I think I've seen below 61 other time, but this guy was even lower. And he doesn't even get very many interceptions to boot, to be perfectly honest. The only thing this guy seems to bring to the table is that he's got a 100% dribble rate for success. Or you could say 0%, because apparently he doesn't bother to try or isn't expected to try. European footy fans, your knowledge would have to run deep to remember him. He made a few appearances in the recent past for a Greek club called A.E. Larissa. I'm not even sure they're in the top flight currently, though I know they've been there before. Eight national team appearances to his credit. This guy used to be worth a darn, 2013 through 17. Teams current form, uh, they managed a nil-nil draw versus number 12 National Bank in their last match to snap a two-match losing streak. Hey, Everything's coming up, Ismailia, but not really. Oh, I just can't get the stink out of my nose from learning about these two teams, but I guess that's both the blessing and largely the curse of the match of disappointed. And so in that spirit, we will not wish them good luck as we do so many other teams, but rather we will heckle them away in our usual stinging fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Hey, boo! Boo! And believe it or not, yeah, that's how we actually wrap things up. Thank you, dear Muppets from up in the opera box for all of your hard work. Also this week, thank you to uh, soccer Twitter account friends, the sweeper and footy with an IE underscore matters. International football fan page is the other account name that they go by in discussing things with them this week. Got some helpful factoids. Also, and as always, thank you very much to he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry to Dan the Interno Inferno for all of his creative efforts and continued support to my daughter, person who missed you this week. I'm so glad that we have your uh, pre-recorded countdown duty stuff so that your voice is always heard on the show, no matter where you are, even when you're visiting your lovely aunt without me. And most importantly, thank you to you, the listener, for finding us. We hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did that to a great enough degree that you will pass us along to your footy-minded friends. Until we can do this in a few days, please have yourself a fabulous footy week. Take care.